Freedom Center. So students, please make note of all those opportunities for service. Our next deacons meeting, May 19th. Conference also May 19th. And we're hosting the Herd High Baccalaureate Art Service on Thursday, May 23rd at 6 o'clock p.m. It would be wonderful to have a few people here to welcome and greet and be hospitable to our Heard County High School graduates of the class of 2019. I think that's all for now. You received bulletins, hopefully, as you came in, which have our prayer list on there. There are a few other announcements. Please make note of that. And the schedule for, for this particular month is back there as well. This time I'm going to ask Joe Bledsoe. Joe is our Deacon of the Week. Uh, we've been going in alphabetical order, in case you did not know that. And a couple of the A's are out of town, so uh, Joe's up a little sooner than normal. Joe, would you come read our scripture this week? Pray for me. Yes. Good morning. Pastor Neil sent me uh, some scripture to read, and uh, I'd read this earlier. It's something I had to pray at. Uh, several years ago uh, and so I have it marked in my Bible it's been marked and I look at it on occasion basis uh, before I read I want you to think about something though do anybody know who the most persecuted group in the world today is that's right so I'm gonna read this and then I'll pray it comes from Psalms chapter 46 verses 1 through 11 God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Salah. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right, and that right early. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Shalom. Come, behold the works of the Lord. What desolation he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariots in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Salah. Would you think about that and what's happening in the world today? You think God is in control and he's with us. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for the many blessings that we have, Father, for the life that most of us have lived through the years and that you've given to us and the many blessings that we have compared to others throughout the world, Father. We thank you for this church and, the, and again, the many blessings that we have, Father. Most of all, thank you for the families that we have. And, Father, today is a celebrating Mother's Day. Father, and thank you for all the mothers that are here, the would-be mothers, and, and all that have gone on, the, the memories we have, Father. Father, I ask that you just guide each one of us that we'll be ready and, and look toward you for all the things that we have, Father, and, and be prepared and guide others to you and be a light to them. And we praise your name. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Good morning. If you'll stand, we're going to begin our worship service this morning with singing Just a Closer Walk with Thee.
Gina Bledsoe to come forward and recognize our mothers. Good morning. Today is a special day. It is the day we get to honor moms. Mothering is a full-time, very important job. And I can say I love being a mother. Uh, one of my favorite parts of being a mother is having the privilege to pray for my children. And I love to pray for them. There's so much I cannot do, but God can do. And so that's a wonderful blessing of motherhood. God blessed me with a wonderful mother a long time ago who taught me so much about being a mother, to love and to, and to give me also the desire to be a mother one day. God also placed many women as motherly examples in my life that I'm so grateful for. Uh, they taught me so much and have been godly examples. And a lot of these women are in these pews. They've sat here and they're still here. And I'm so grateful for that. It's my prayer. So I just want to say thank you to all, you, all of you women and to my mom. It's my prayer that I can be as good of a mother and an example as well as pour into my children and others that's in my life and mother them as well, just the way they've shown me how to do. I'd like to share this poem that I think honors many of the mothers that I know and my mother certainly and is also an encouragement to me to, to strive for. This is called Mothers Who the World Needs. Mothers with courage, mothers who pray, these are the kind the world needs today. Mothers who think, who study and plan, mothers who laugh as much as they can. Having the gift that is better than money, the habit of seeing that some things are funny. Mothers whose faith never wavers or falters, mothers whose spirits the world never alters. Loving the right and scorning the wrong, facing the problems of life with a song. Mothers whose bravery transcends their fears, winning the battle with patience and tears. Never submitting to weakness or sin, storming heaven's gates till the children are in. Mothers heroic, not guilty of whining, hands graced with service and faces with shining. Mothers of purity, virtue, and faith, steadfast in life and triumphant in death, looking beyond the dark pathway of sorrow, seeking a home in God's joyous tomorrow, leading the children, pointing the way. These are the mothers the world needs today. So, and I'd like to share um, a verse of encouragement in Corinthians to help us do all these things as mothers. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. So happy Mother's Day to all of the women here. Um, we just, Glenlock wants to say thank you for all that you do and pour into the lives of your children others' children, and to others around you. As you leave today, we have a flower that we would like every lady here to take with them. It's in the foyer, and we've got some sweet girls that are going to help pass those out when church is dismissed. So again, happy Mother's Day.
you'll stand. We're going to sing together, Victory in Jesus. especially pray that you bless um, and just surround and love all of the women in our life who have served as mothers, God. And Lord, I also pray that you comfort all of those who are without their mother or grandmother this, um, this morning, God. Lord, it's such a celebratory day, but it's also a day that brings um, much grief to those who are no longer um, apart. 
of this life here with us, God. So, Lord, I pray that you flood us with good memories today. I pray that you um, surround us in comfort and love. Lord, I pray that each woman be extremely blessed today for the love they've given um, toward the children in their life, God. Lord, right now as we open up our word in this time of study, I pray that you open our hearts and clear our minds, Lord, and speak clearly through Pastor Neil this morning, Lord. We just love you and praise you and thank you so much for all that you've done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you would, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 16. As our children leave, we are grateful already for our hearts and minds have been turned to God and His grace. His grace to us through the ministry that our mothers and our grandmothers have had in, in many of our lives. This morning in John 16, we are in the midst of, a, I guess, a mini-series, so to speak, for lack of a better term, of the last words of Jesus in his farewell discourse to his disciples. Following the resurrection, the Holy Spirit reminded them of everything that he said before the resurrection, and it was the resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit that enlightened them and illumined them to remember and apply all that he said. So this is a series that we began uh, after Easter Sunday, just remembering the words of Christ and how they affect us since he is still risen. So actually I'm going to pick up in John chapter 15, beginning with verse 26. And mothers, if you want to apply this to your particular situations, Years ago, my grandfather, who was a minister, when I was a late teen, he handed, well, he handed me several things through the years, but he handed me a, a, a stack of tapes, cassette tapes that were in these old cassette tape boxes. And they were filled with sermons from many different pastors and ministers that he loved to listen to. And I'm weird like this. I remember details of some things that most people just probably should forget. <laughs> but uh, in, that, in that sleeve of, of sermons was a sermon by Dr. Charles Stanley on John 14, 15, and 16, or somewhere along in there. And it was about the mother's, it was a Mother's Day sermon that he titled, The Mother's Helper. And it was apparently a sermon on the Holy Spirit and his help in the life of mothers and equipping them to do that great task. Well, at that time in my life, I said, I'll just skip over this one. You know, why in the world would I ever need this one? But I bring that to mind just as a footnote that, you know, I never listened to the message, but Dr. Stanley was applying the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the role of mothers in the life of the church. So today, I'm not preaching and did not plan to preach particularly a Mother's Day sermon. But what I am going to talk about today is what Jesus emphasizes in John 15 and 16, and that's the divine help that all of us have from God to live the Christian life. God has provided us with a divine helper, and that's the main subject, the main truth, and what I'm about to read to you in this portion of the farewell discourse. So let's pick up in John chapter 15, verse 26. Now I'm reading from the New American Standard. So some of your versions may have, instead of helper, you may have comforter or advocate. So when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. And you will bear witness also, because you have been with me from the beginning. These things I have spoken to you, that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. 
And these things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I have spoken to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I do not say to you at the beginning, or I did not say to you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask of me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, there he is again, shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness because I go to the Father. And you no longer behold me. And concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. All things that the Father has given, excuse me, this is wordy at times. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. A little while and you will no longer behold me. And again a little while and you will see me. Well, some of his disciples therefore said to one another, as you may be saying right now, what is he talking about? I mean, our pastor couldn't even read the text. <laughs> How in the world are we to understand this and apply it? So Jesus is bringing them along. He's going to leave, meaning he is going, he's, and he's said this in other places, he is going to die, he is going to be raised from the dead, and, and in retrospect, as the Spirit does his work, they're going to grasp all this. But look at verse 17. What, what is this he's telling us? A little while, and you will not behold me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I go to the Father. They were saying, what is this that he says a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. And Jesus knew that they wished to question him, and he said to them, Are you deliberating together about this? That I said, a little while, and you will not behold me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. And then he uses motherhood as an example, as an illustration of what, is, of what they're going to go through as they face his trial, his crucifixion, his burial, and then the joy that's on the other side of that. And listen to this in verse 21. Whenever a woman is in travail, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she remembers the anguish no more for joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too now have sorrow, but I will see you again. And your heart will rejoice, and no one takes your joy away from you. And in that day, you will ask me no question. Truly, truly, I say to you that if you shall ask the Father for anything, he will give it to you in my name. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be made full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming when I will speak no more to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, 
Can I say that again? The Father himself loves you because you've loved me. And you've believed that I came forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. And I'm leaving the world again and going to the Father. Well, now his disciples think they've got it. Look at verse 29. They said, lo now, you're speaking plainly and you're not using a figure of speech. They think they have clarity. Now we know that you know all things. And you have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. They're feeling pretty good about themselves. We've got it now. We feel invincible. We believe we're, we're where we need to be with you, Jesus. And to quote the great theologian Lee Corso, Jesus basically says, Not so fast, my friend. Because he says in verse 31, do you now believe? He says, behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home and to leave me alone. In other words, Jesus is telling them, you will forsake me. You will struggle to believe. Then he says, yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Father, just in reading this text and in briefly explaining some of it, we are encouraged to have our faith strengthened and our, our witness more courageous and to rest more fully and completely in the work of Christ. To understand more of who he is and what he's done on our behalf. And to know that he promised he would not leave us as orphans, but he would send some help. So thank you, Father, for the help that you are. The help that the Son is and has been and forever will be. And the work and the help of the Holy Spirit. The helper who's come to help us in our discipleship, in our growth, in whatever particular responsibility and task you've given us for this season of life. Thank you for the help, Father, that you've given through the Son and through the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you listen to me preach a lot, you know that I'm an expository preacher, meaning I like to take verse by verse and break it down and apply it and explain it, so forth and so on. But today I'm not going to do that because we have, um, there's a lot here. So what I want to do is highlight, and I hope you are encouraged just in the reading of the text, hearing again the words of Jesus. Let those seeds fall upon good soil. The words are the help because they are true. And they are beautiful and they are good. But I'm going to take as our subject today our divine helper. And I'm going to basically outline a few things for us. And I've made some notes. First, our need for help. Second, our source of help. Then we're going to talk about how the Spirit, who is our source of help, helps us. And then what are the results of the Spirit's help? So first, let's emphasize one of the main truths that Jesus highlights in this text is your need for help and my need for help. And particularly, the disciples' need for help at this particular season of his ministry. For example, he tells them that the world hates you. If you're like me and you want everybody to like you, that's, that's a difficulty, all right? Unfortunately, they weren't made in my image, but the world hated Christ. The world is going to hate you. That's going to be difficult to bear. The words that Jesus speaks is, is in the context of persecution and difficulty. Which is one reason why I asked Joe to read Psalm 46. Because Jesus point blank tells us before we begin this journey, 
before he rises from the dead, before he goes to the cross, he says, the world is going to hate you. Look at 16, 1 and 2. I'm telling you these things so that you'll keep from stumbling. That implies that there's danger around us and there's an opportunity to stumble. There's opportunity to fall. There's opportunity to sin and to fail. In 16.2, they will make you outcasts. They're going to run you out of the synagogues. Places where you found refuge, they're going to be done with you. In 16.20, I'm just replaying what he said. You will weep. And you will lament at your loss. Grief is difficulty. The possibility of stumbling presents difficulty. The world hating you presents difficulty. Being cast out presents difficulty. And not only that, but the biggest problem is within. In 1632 and 33, they're going to be scattered. They're going to forsake him. Each one of them is going to be done with it, and they're going to go to their own homes. In fact, he says, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. So no wonder we need help. Our context and our environment in which we live, the world, the flesh, and the devil, we face difficulty without, within, and Jesus highlights a lot of this in the text. I don't know why, it must be on some commercial recently, but Bennett and I, for the last week, have been quoting the, the Beatles, of all people. Help! I need somebody! Help! Not just anybody! Help! You familiar with that? When I was younger, so much younger than today, no, I'm not going to break off into that. I never needed anybody's help along the way. Yeah, we're young and invincible and healthy and we don't need anybody or anything. That's my condition and your condition. Our need for help. You want to know why we need help? After all, if he provides a helper, it's because we need help. We are sinners living in a sinful world. Every single one of us are fallen, limited, and depraved. And we are at enmity with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Do not underestimate the power of the dark side. <laughs> On May the 4th, and I'm just talking out loud again. Yoda, forgive me, is in his last words to Luke... <laughs> And one of the warnings he gives him is never underestimate the evil of the emperor. There's a reason that thread runs through a lot of the things that we know and love and watch because ultimately it points to something that's much more real. We must not take lightly the opportunity to sin and the danger of sin around us and the effects it has. Susanna Wesley is one of the great moms in history. In fact, she's called the mother of Methodism because she was the mother of John and Charles. If you open up your hymnals sometime, you'll see the effect that she had on her sons and the effect they've had on the church universal. Nineteen children. I know. Help. <laughs> Just the thought is exhausting. Nine died in infancy. Only eight were alive at her death. You can read much more about her, but one of the famous quotes that she's known for is one of her children one time asked, Mom, what is sin? I may need to send you this. I've got it written in the flyleaf of my Bible, and her standard is far holier than the rule that most of us take. Susanna answered her child and said, Take this rule. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, 
takes off your relish of spiritual things, whatever increases the strength and authority of your body over your mind, that thing to you is sin, however innocent it may be in itself. June 8, 1725. Help. Help. We have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And thankfully, he has provided help along the way. So first, I want to emphasize your need for help, regardless of who you are, what you've accomplished, what your dreams and goals are, where you're from. Throw all the categories out. You are a sinner in need of divine help. Not just anybody, but you need God. And you need his church. And you need the word. So let's look second at what Jesus says. We have a source of help. In verse 26, he is called the helper. So he makes it clear for disciples like you and me that, that we need help, but that God himself is and will provide a helper. Now, as we unfold the text, we see that our helper is God in three persons. This is a Trinitarian discourse, meaning throughout John 14, 15, and 16, you will hear and you have heard me highlight the work of the Father and the work of the Son and the work of the Holy Spirit. All that is God and all the resources He has, very God of very God, is available to you and me. Now in this particular passage, He highlights the work of the Holy Spirit. But we have the help of the Father. We could preach all day about the help of the Son. But sometimes we forget the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, the word that Jesus uses here, that he began this discourse in chapter 14, verse 26, and I remind you, this is from a couple of weeks ago, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Implying that Jesus is our help. Psalm 46 and other psalms imply the Father is our help, so that he may be with you forever. We will never, ever be utterly forsaken and without help. Ever. Because Christ will ask the Father, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much, and Jesus gets everything that he asks for. He will give you, this is a gift, of another helper that he may be with you forever. Not just with you now, but with you forever. So the help that Jesus gave to his disciples, and we could catalog this and category this, he helped them to see, he helped them to believe, he helped them to know, he helped them to understand, I'd go on and on. But the word that he used here in the Greek is parakletos, which is advocate, comforter, helper. In particular, one called alongside to help. One called alongside to help and to be an intercessor, especially in the context of legal counsel or when you get in trouble with the court and you need a defender before the law. So it's not, just, it's not just help and comfort and advocacy. It's somebody who has the power to represent you in court and help you when you're in legal trouble. So it's not just comfort and advocacy, but it's somebody who can actually get something done. Some real legal representation and work. But after all, our greatest need is the trouble that you and I are in with the law. No, I don't mean the speeding tickets that I've received over the last few years. I mean the law. That we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. We have failed miserably compared to the standard of God's holy law which has been revealed in the Ten Commandments. You and I are in trouble with God and that's serious trouble. We're in serious legal trouble. In, 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 in having a need for a righteous standing before God. So God has called someone alongside to help us. We have God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He is our source of help. 
Then let me outline a few of the ways that he does help us that I see in this text. And one of the things I want to emphasize is that the way this is worded in the scriptures goes something like this. He and no other. That's a crucial distinction. He's not one of many ways that we can get help. He's not one of many ways that we can rely upon or things we can rely upon or people we can rely upon. Every other idol that you try to replace him with will fall over on you and crush you. He and he only is this kind of help. The deepest help that we need. So let me just give you what Jesus gives us and tell us how the Spirit helps us. He helps us in teaching and remembering. Meaning, Jesus said in 1426 that the helper, when he comes, this is how he's going to help you. He is going to teach you everything that you need to know and bring to remembrance all that I said to you. So that implies that I need help learning and I need help remembering. In fact, is that one, not one of our chief difficulties is remembering? We forget who he is, what he's done, what he's called us, and on and on and on. So Jesus, through the work of the Spirit and the Word, says to us, Do this in remembrance of me. The Spirit helps us by teaching us and calling to remembrance. The second way is in 1526. He helps us bear witness. The Spirit will bear witness of Jesus, and then you, empowered by the Spirit, will bear witness also. When the Helper comes, He will bear witness of me. Hey, that's how Jesus' ministry began. The Holy Spirit descended upon Christ at His baptism as a dove, and the Father said, This, this is the one. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to Him. And so even now, if Christ is born witness to, it is the Spirit who does that, through God's children and through the church and preachers like you and me. The Spirit also brings conviction. In 15.8, Jesus says, When He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. In other words, if you've ever been convicted internally of sin in your life, it's the Spirit that helped you reach that point. To see your sin for what it truly is. Because we've got it wrong about our sin. We don't understand how grave it is. We don't understand how costly it is. We don't understand how it affects others. But the Holy Spirit helps me to see what's wrong in my life and sends me running to Christ for forgiveness and transformation. I need help seeing those things. Now, other people see my flaws and sins clearly. But me, not always so. So the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and convicts us concerning sin, that it's wrong and it needs forgiven, righteousness, that we lack what God has, and judgment, because judgment is coming. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. You do not see your sin correctly until you agree with God about it. And it is the Spirit who helps us in that endeavor. He also guides us because by nature we go our own way. We do not by nature know the right way. But in 1613, He will guide you into all truth and He will disclose to you what is to come. So how do we have our Bibles? The Holy Spirit, through these apostles and disciples, guided them into all truth and disclosed to them the things that we were to know. Then last of all, he shall glorify me. The Spirit helps us by magnifying and glorifying Christ. Some commentators have called this like a floodlight ministry. Some of you have floodlights around your homes. The floodlights don't draw attention to themselves. The Holy Spirit doesn't draw attention to himself. He illumines Christ. So the floodlight illumines the house and you see the house and the walkway better because of the floodlight ministry upon your house 
The Holy Spirit magnifies Christ and glorifies Christ and illumines Christ. In fact, Timothy Keller says the Holy Spirit's main work is to unfold the meaning of Jesus' person and work so that his glory, beauty, and importance is brought home to the heart and mind. The Holy Spirit, in other words, gets Jesus up. And helps us to see the cross as something that was necessary in order for our sins to be atoned for. And see the the resurrection as God's vindication and endorsement of that work. And God's glorification of His Son. Spurgeon said the primary work of the Holy Spirit is to turn your mind off of yourself and onto Christ. I don't know about you, but I need the work of the Spirit in my life. Thanks be to God the Father and God the Son that they've both worked together and the Spirit in submission to the Father and the Son continues to do His work of teaching and remembering, bearing witness, convicting us of sin, guiding us to Christ, and then glorifying this Jesus whom we proclaim. Now all that's there. God has provided all of this. This is what the Spirit does. Well, how do you and I access that resource? Well, these are the types of things I talk about every week. The practical side of discipleship. So I could talk again about praying, which Jesus emphasizes in this passage. Reading the Word of God. Attending worship services. Serving others. God, through His Spirit and through the body of Christ, which is the church, provides us with all of these resources. And so becoming aware of the Spirit's help for us We've also got to be aware of our natural aversion to these things. Our distaste of these things by nature. Our avoidance of these things by nature. But through the Holy Spirit of God, we have a new nature in us that draws us to Himself. So here's the, here's the, the verse, and then the practical side. Paul says to the Galatians, if this is what the Spirit does, then walk by the Spirit. And you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. We live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Practically speaking, read the Bible. Explain the Bible and ask the Holy Spirit to make application of the Bible. This is a lifelong process for disciples in the church by which we hear the Word, read the Word, the Holy Spirit's main tool and instrument to use in our life to do the things I talked about is the very words of God. So don't let any of His words fall to the ground to borrow from an Old Testament story. Don't let any of these words fall to the ground. This is a war of words and truth and who you're going to listen to and what you're going to believe and what you're going to take into your mind and heart. And you by nature are fallen and you don't get it, so you need a constant steady diet of the Word personally and corporately. And where the Word is neglected, the work of God will be sabotaged. Where the Word is neglected, the work of God is sabotaged. So every week he tells me to get in my Bible. Yes, my job is to get in the Bible and to tell you to get in the Bible. You have one life to live. Don't waste it spending it on lies and deception that come from the enemy. Do not underestimate his power. One of the things I've done this spring is coach seven and eight baseball. And one thing I love about seven and eight baseball, or one thing that may be frustrating about seven and eight baseball, is each child knows going into their at bat, they know what's at stake. It's very clear. You get five pitches and five pitches only. You get three strikes. And three strikes only. Myself and other seven and eight coaches get very frustrated when we get to that last pitch. (laughs) This is your last pitch. This is it. This is the fifth pitch. I don't care if it's high. I don't care if it's low. I don't care if it hits you. (laughs) Swing at this last pitch because it's all you got. And I, I promise you, Mr. Joe, it happened three or four times the other night in our last game. Thankfully, it happened to the opposition, but it's still frustrating to see it happen. I don't care who they're for. 
It's your last pitch, and they just, boom. <laughs> and the umpire says, you're out. <laughs> and we, you know, it's funny when it's somebody else. It's seven and eight. But we're here week after week, and day after day, life after life, and the most important thing that you and I were created for and made for is a relationship with God, and the Holy Spirit's main means of saving and transforming is through the Word of God. By it we are saved and believe in the gospel. By it we are transformed in, in that his words are sanctifying. So there is no task more important or no, no more important in sincerity and depth than, than, than feeding upon. Look, you don't live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. I'll speak more to this every other week. Last of all, I want you to see the results of the Spirit's help. If you believe Christ, and let's be clear, the main sin of the sinner or the lost person is, is unbelief. It's not any particular behavior. The chief sin of the sinner is unbelief. So if you believe Christ, and you believe what He said, and you trust in His work and in His resurrection and His, in His continual work, then, then these are some of the things that he says will be the effect in our life. We will have guidance in that we will be kept from stumbling. That's repetition. We will have recall in that when the hour comes, you'll remember. And you'll stand firm and strong by remembering. You'll rejoice because your sorrows in life will be turned to joy just as the joy that they had when they realized that his death was actually beneficial for them. It was necessity for them. Anything that they ask the Father, He will grant it because it will transform what we ask for. We will experience and feel and know His love. And we'll have confidence, not arrogance, very different, confidence facing the rest of life. If you were to ask me as a teenager what my favorite verse was, and I was asked at times to publicly account for this, I'm not going to get into all of that. John 16, 33 was the one. And I think it still is today because it's so honest. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. It's so secure. Let your heart take courage. In me, you have peace. It's so victorious. Because he overcame the world, we too can overcome the world. You can't add or take away from anything that John 16, 33 tells us. So the effect is peace and joy and love and confidence. All the stuff that we're trying to get out of other things. And Jesus tells us that the help we need, the help we desire, the help we have is right here in our relationship with the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the help we have received from Him, personal application, is the help that you are to give to others in their time of need. I don't know about you, but I never forget people who truly help me do heavy lifting. And we remember that. We're more inspired to, after the Good Samaritan has bandaged us up and helped us out, then we're more apt and in line to be inspired to reach out and help others with the help with which God has given us. So you need help. God has provided help. These are the ways that he helps. And then enjoy the benefits of his help. We're entering the end of the school year and Bennett one night had a nightmare. He woke up the next morning. He says, I had a nightmare last night, Dad. He was telling me and Tracy about it. He says, what was it, Benny? And he said, I dreamed that you were picking me up from school, and my second grade teacher, Miss Cook, ran and tackled me <laughs> and prevented me from getting in the car. <laughs> I'm just never going to get away. I'm never going to get free. 
And then I visited Miss Rebecca Hawkins this week, and she too, the very same day, shared with me a nightmare that she had had the night before. When I walked in her room, she said, Neil, I got to tell you, she said, last night I dreamed I was dying. She said, I'll be honest. She says, when I'm awake, I'm always aware that I'm right with God, that I'm bound for heaven, I'm confident. But she said, last night I was completely terrified. And I thought I was dying and I feared dying and I feared facing God in judgment. And so she literally in the night called her daughter to come and help. And her daughter came to the nursing home, to her room, to console her and to comfort her. Why do we have this underlying fear and anxiety which oftentimes comes out in our dreams? Well, because we're human beings. But I will say what I said to Miss Rebecca, that in Christ, there are two realms. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. But we never have to fear anything in Christ because he has already overcome the world. He is our advocate, our legal representation. And what God said about Jesus, he also says about you in Jesus. This is my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love and your grace. Thank you just for the words that you've spoken to us through Jesus, your Son, and through the Spirit again. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit, that he will do his work and that we will trust and allow and open up to his work in our individual hearts to apply this to our personal needs of help. It's all there. We may be at times deceived and we may at times be delusional about our need for help and about what our great need is to stand before you in righteousness and in judgment. But Father, thank you that John 16, 33 clears it all up. That our hearts need to take courage because what we have in Christ is truly victorious over every challenge, every enemy every issue that we could ever face so help us father to believe these words to apply these words to our life practically and emotionally and continue to help us during this time of invitation to process this and and allow the as tim keller said the the beauty and the magnificence of christ and his work to be brought home again to our hearts and our minds we need that father and that for that we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing this morning our hymn of invitation.
Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, how, how much we're reminded in this service today how amazingly blessed we are. Uh, as we reflected on moms, we, we realized that, you know, we came into this world as a helpless child and it took a mother to sustain us and to raise us. Um, we also, in a very similar way, came into this world spiritually helpless and hopeless, and it took a Savior to save us. And we're so thankful that you came and you provided a way for us for eternity, and that you didn't leave us alone, but you gave us a helper, a Holy Spirit, to guide us and lead us and teach us. Uh, for that, Lord, we are amazingly blessed. And we give today because... We want everyone else to have that same blessing, and we want them to know that you love them and care for them. <clears throat> we pray that you would take these tithes and offerings, use them for your purpose, for your glory, Lord, that all may know that Jesus loves you and Jesus saves. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> 